Whether you're a crypto newbie, an established investor, or operating a business in Web3, tax season can be an absolute headache. But it doesn't have to be a nightmare. That's where Crypto Tax Calculator comes in. The software platform founded in 2018 by brothers Shane and Tim Burnett, crypto fanatics who were fed up with the complexity of doing their taxes. As Coinbase's official global tax partner, CTC focuses on simplifying complex transactions, supporting over 300,000 currencies across Ethereum, Arbitrum, Optimism, as well as 1,000 other integrations. Sign up at realvision.com forward slash CTC and get an exclusive 30% discount with the code RV30 at checkout. Welcome to Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Monday, February 12, 2024. I'm Ash Bennington, joined today by Steve Miley, co-founder and chief analyst at Trade Day. Uh, Steve, welcome back to Real Vision. Hey, yeah. Thanks for having me on, Ash. Um, great to be back. Well, it's great to have you here. Another uh, another day on the S&P 500 above 5,000. Looks like 5,021 on my screen here as we close out the day. Uh, Steve, big picture, where do you see us in these markets right now? Yeah, well, uh, you know, on, from a risk perspective, you know, we're definitely in that kind of risk on phase. You know, we've been in it pretty much, uh, you know, throughout this year. Um, clearly, S&P 500 breaking the 5,000 level has been a big headline grabber as a technical analyst. Um, you know, taking out a psychological level is important. But, you know, once we're through that level, it's kind of history. It's in the rearview mirror now. You know, further closes above 5,000 are obviously going to help. But um, really, you know, any kind of stops, any kind of option plays have been neutralized through that level. So I think, you know, that's a little bit of history, but we do have some kind of levels that we can look at where we can go potentially higher. Um, we've broken out of an important up channel that we've been in from um, September, uh, September, October 2022 in here. Um, we broke out the top of that channel. The trend line that runs up from October is still very much intact from a technical perspective. So overall, it looks really bullish um, for me. There's no reason to feel like we're getting any kind of exuberance in here. We're not kind of you know seeing momentum indicators. Daily momentum is a little stretched. And if you look, we've been up like five straight weeks. We've also, if you look all the way the rally from October, there's only one red candle in there. So I think it's 15 weeks um, we've only had one down week in the last 15. Uh, but if you look at the momentum indicators, particularly on the weekly charts, we're not seeing those particularly overstretched. Yes, they've gone higher than they were last year, but that's a, you know, from a, a momentum perspective, from a technical analysis, analysis perspective, that's a, a positive um, confirmation. We're not getting a divergence. So that's all positive as well. And are we pushing through overly pushing through capacity limits? What can we do? Can we go further on those weekly momentum indicators? Well, we were more overstretched through 2021 on the whole bull rally that we had post-COVID. So I guess you can take from that that I'm still pretty bullish in here, even though we have had that run, um, and I still see there's further upside. Do your charts give you a sense of how much upside that could be or what the indicators might be for you in terms of what you're seeing when it might, might reverse? Yeah, I mean, for me, for the upside in here, you know, just looking, I mean, as percentages is probably easier, but I, I don't see any issue with us adding in the short to intermediate term another 5% from here, having cleared, you know, you know, various hurdles. 
um, you know, including that 5,000 level, having broken above the 2021 high. So um, that really leaves us with, you know, potentially further upside of 5%. I'm thinking into the, the balance of Q1, potentially as early as um, into you know, late February, early March, we could add another 5% in here. Bigger picture, I think another 10% through into Q2 is quite easily um, the potential for the S&P and the Dow, maybe even a little more with the tech leadership that we're seeing um, in the NASDAQ. So even potentially another 10 to 15%, I think, up in the NASDAQ as we go into the second quarter. So those are kind of the upside targets we're really looking at. I think you know critical to monitor really with earnings season behind us now pretty much is you know how overstretched we could potentially come from a momentum perspective as a technical analyst and I'd be watching out for those kind of trend momentum indicators on the weekly charts to start becoming stretched but we could easily rally those that you know another 5 10% over those time frames before they start to really break you know capacity limits and then we'd be looking for at least a consolidation or um, some kind of correction to the downside hey steve let me ask you this because when you look back uh, at the gains we've already seen. I mean, uh, here we are, uh, middle of February, not even yet. Uh, year to date, we're up nearly 6% on the S&P 500, trailing 12 months, uh, over 21%. I mean, this has been pretty extraordinary gains. And by the way, if we want to add that rounded out five-year chart, uh, up 80% on the S&P 500. Pretty, pretty significant gains, man. They are specific, yeah, certainly significant gains, you know, but, you know, the fundamentals, you know, underlying, I think are, are pretty positive. You know, I think it's quite remarkable, you know, I know there's a lot of bears out there who are looking for this to roll over and yeah. still got, you know, some some negative macro outlooks on, you know, the return of inflation or potentially, you know, hitting into recession. But, you know, to, for us to have hit globally in places, double digit inflation um, and for the central banks to have hiked rates as aggressively as they, as they have done, you know, inflation rates we haven't seen in lifetimes, you know, for 40 years, you know, I can just about remember when we were double digit and I was, I was very young, even though I'm quite old now. So, you know, I, I can certainly, I, I certainly feel that the central banks, you know, and there are some central bank, you know, beaters out there, but I think they've done a remarkably good job of, of you know, managing the situation to have hiked rates as they have, to have paused where they have, and to now be in that, you know, that rate cutting mode. And I think that all sits with us going higher. You know, the fact that we are about to enter an easing cycle, I think, you know, they've managed it well in the, the you know, the Fed particularly have said to, to, to the market, you know, we're not going to be aggressive on the rate cuts. You know, I think the market wanted that. So, you know, post the post the December meeting, the Fed basically said, we're going to hike, sorry, we're going to cut, excuse me, we're in that cutting cycle, you know, keep slipping into the hike. Um, yeah, so they're going to cut, you know, three times this year. Then the market immediately priced in six uh, rate cuts starting in March. And then the Fed have pushed back against that, right? And so the short-term interest rate curve has, has, you know, repriced itself to now say, right, we're not expecting the, the first cut in March. We're expecting the first cut in May or June. And maybe we're only going to get five um, uh, rate cuts this year. And what's interesting, you had a very, very, very high correlation between bonds and stocks right the way through in that October rally, right? So we saw bonds and stocks you know, moving in the same direction, highly correlated right the way through to December. And then since the, the Fed, really, you've had a slight dislocation um, since the Fed in December. Um, and what we've seen is, you know, bonds have gone into more of a range environment, but stocks have managed to continue higher. So mm. despite the fact that, that 
the short-term interest rate curve plus the bond market has reevaluated and said, okay, the Fed are not going to deliver um, what we expected. The Fed have pushed back against that. Don't fight the Fed, as they say. Um, but we've gone back into a range environment in those yields, as you can see on the charts here. But then equally, um, what it says to me is that, you know, with stocks continue to roar higher, they're, they're basically saying, OK, we're fine with yields going a bit higher. We don't mind the fact that the um, interest rates may not be cut as early and they may not be cut as deep, but we're, we're happy to go higher. So, you know, all of that points to me on the bigger macro picture. It just opens up further upside. See, we just got that 10-year yield chart up on the screen. Uh, walk us through what you see there. Yeah, so basically you had that kind of that, that correlation with, you know, um, we had the, the movement higher in bond prices um, throughout 2023. And then that, that big move back lower that we saw, you know, um, through the end of last year, um, lowering yields. So uh, bond prices, um, sorry, bond yields coming down from that 502 level. Um, and now we're kind of stuck in this range, the broader range at 325 to 502, the technically the narrower range at 450 to 350. And we are nudging to the, to the top end of the more recent range. Potential breakout on the 10-year through 420 could take us up to 450. But I think what's really, you know, a bit impressive is that, say, that dislocation with that correlation with stocks. And, you know, the, we're on the precipice, really, of potentially moving to four through 420 towards 450 in yields on bonds. And the um, and the stock markets don't mind. You know, they're, they're perfectly happy um, to go higher despite the potential higher yield environment. And normally you would see, you know, growth stocks, you would see tech kind of being weighed on by the moves higher in yield, but we've not seen that at all. You know, you'd better think quite the reverse. You know, tech continues to lead as we go to nudge towards higher yields. I think if we got through 450, it could potentially be a problem. And that, again, as you were asking the question there, what could be the catalyst? You know, significantly higher yields. You know, I think through 420 to 450 is okay. If we get up to 450 and above, above then I think, you know, that could see um, stock indices wobble. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Whether you're a crypto newbie, an established investor, or operating a business in Web3, tax season can be an absolute headache, but it doesn't have to be a nightmare. That's where Crypto Tax Calculator comes in. The software platform founded in 2018 by brothers Shane and Tim Burnett crypto fanatics who were fed up with the complexity of doing their taxes. As Coinbase's official global tax partner, Crypto Tax Calculator focuses on simplifying complex transactions, supporting over 300,000 currencies across Ethereum, Arbitrum, Optimism, as well as 1,000 other integrations. It's as simple as connecting your wallet, pulling in all your transactions, and following the automated suggestions to quickly and accurately calculate your tax obligations. Finally, 2024 is a year when crypto investors can do their taxes with speed and confidence. Make taxes this year easy and affordable with Crypto Tax Calculator. Sign up at realvision.com forward slash CTC and get a 30% discount with the code RV30 at checkout. Hey, Steve, let me ask you this because you touched on it uh, with the uh, performance of tech stocks. Do you have any concerns? Is this something you watch when you think about market breadth concentration in those big cap tech names? Uh, or is that something that you're not really focused on for whatever reason? 
I'm not, you know, laser focused on it, but it's something I do look at. Um, and there is a lot of talk about, you know, obviously the Magnificent Seven leading the the markets higher. Um, a lot of talk of, yeah, this is an, an uh, you know, akin to the um, the tech boom that we saw in the 1990s um, and the uh, with the AI boom that we're getting right now. From what I look at, though, I don't see those breadth readings as being aggressively overdone at the moment. So what I don't really see is kind of the irrational exuberance that you know that Greenspan spoke about at the end of the last century um, in the in the tech boom that we saw back then. We're not seeing the, those kind of numbers. We're not seeing that kind of movement um, in the advanced decline. Uh, we're not seeing those kind of numbers um, in um, various breadth indicators. And what I do like to see as well is, you know, I think you know it's worth pointing out is that the MSCI, we don't have the chart, I didn't drop that chart in, but the MSCI weld index hit a new high last week, right? So of the developed nations, we took out the high from 2022. So this is not just a US story. It's not just a tech story. It's a global story. It's across um, sectors. And I think you know, that that tells us that, it, again, it's got further to run. And it, I, I think there's a lot of a lot of bashing of the makeup of the S&P that, you know, if you, you look at what tech you know what tech brings is like at least 30 percent and potentially up to 40 or 50 percent but then equally i think you know you're seeing other indices doing well europe continues to underperform but does well the nikkei um has, has had a really good start to 2024 as well um and you know we're managing to do all this with china massively lagging behind and you know effectively in like more of a bear market from last year than in a bull market yeah, certainly seems to be on a comparative basis. Boy, Steve, it makes me feel old when you say at the end of last ah, century when we're talking about terrible. No, no. Uh, hey, listen, let me just float this out there. It looks like we got a new record close uh, on Dow Jones Industrial Average, 38,797 right now uh, on my screen. Uh, any thoughts, Steve, about the, the uh, relative performance of the industrials here uh, against S&P 500 or NASDAQ? Pick your poison. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's doing, you know, Again, I think it indicates that this is a broader rally, right? You know, kind of stuff. You know, you talk about the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and we go back to Dow theory. Now I'm talking about now, not the last century. We're talking about the century before that, right? The late 1800s. I'm going to wind this all back there. But Charles Dow. We don't remember he, that part. So yeah, no, great. I don't quite remember that either. No. So, but you know, Charles Dow said, you know, the the averages have to confirm each the, the, each other. So, and he was talking about the industrials and the transports back then, right? But now, um, if we look at the what the Dow Jones Industrial Average compared to the Nasdaq compared to the um the s p 500 compared to as i just mentioned there the uh, the um weld msci weld index compared to the nikkei they're all making new highs so what that tells me is that there is a you know the, the, there is that breadth is there right it's not just all focused in the nasdaq and i think the industrials can can continue to go higher probably with their natural underperformance that you tend to get in these kind of markets. I don't see the rotation into those just yet, but um, you know that, that could be further down the line, but I don't think that's something we're going to see right now. And as, as we said there just earlier, right, you know, tech's managing to do this, even with yields nudging higher. If we get the, you know, I said the risk with yields was breakout from 420 to 450 on the US 10 year. But if we get the opposite, if it, if it just reverts back into the range and we're back down sub 4%, then, you know, I fully anticipate growth stocks to fly and, and you know, tech goes with it and NASDAQ goes with it. Okay, let me ask you this. We're talking about charts here. I know you have a chart on gold. Tell us what you see there, why it's significant. 
Yeah, so the gold the charting year very much within consolidation um, for the last well for this year really since the end of last year we had that spike out of the top of the range having previously spiked at the bottom of the range so if you kind of look we're in going back to 2020 we're in a much much wider broader range like really 1800 up to like 2100 and then you know from 2023 through early 2024 a narrower range defined by like you know 1800 up to uh 2100 and then we had that spike out at the end of uh last year up to 2152 but since then very much in consolidation now um, I've got an underlying bullish view. I do think that we had a rejection of the downside breakout last year. Um, we had that bullish breakout to the top side. So for me, the risk is higher. At the moment, we're kind of a little bit paralyzed, I think. And I know we've got the dollar chart, US dollar index chart um, there as well. But I yeah, think let's plug GXY as well. Yeah, because I think what we are, we're seeing in here, um, yeah, so... There on the on the DXY chart, what you see again is that kind of more the market been back into that range environment for a lot of 2023 through into early 2024. We sold off um, at the end of last year and have rebounded since. So, and I think that's a little bit to do with you know the the kind of slightly anticipation of of higher yields. So higher yields positive for the dollar, taking the dollar up. And that's kept a cap on gold, I think, the fact that the dollar has strengthened um, throughout this year. But if you look at the, the, the bigger picture here on the US dollar index, for me, the risk from 2022 is down. Um, we've gone down sideways 2023 through 2024. And then the risk, you know, I've got it there with the arrow and the question mark, is where does it break out of this range? Ultimately, I think it's down. Do I think it's down now? No. Is that more like a Q2 story? I think yes. And I think what we'll see is the US dollar potentially start to weaken as we get the anticipation of the Fed cutting rates. Because for me, what's got the fundamental backdrop of this is the Fed are going to be the first of the major central banks to cut, and they will probably more dovish and be more consistent in cutting rates after that. I see, you know, if we just pick, say, the ECB and the Bank of England, I see them cutting later than the Fed and probably not as aggressively as the Fed. So that's the way I see that playing out. So then what we'll probably see is then US dollar weakness come through. Um, as the Fed become maybe a little bit more aggressive in their in their on their on their um, cutting, um, adopt a more dovish stance. I think initially what we see is actually the market moves towards the Fed, and then the Fed maybe moves towards the market. So I think that's how we're going to see that play out as we go through the latter stages of Q1 into Q2. So initially the the market parrying back from maybe five rate cuts towards four and then the fed may be starting to indicate well actually we're we're willing to once we start cutting rates we're going to be a little bit more aggressive that in turn leads to dollar weakness and if we do want to flip back to the um gold chart you know ultimately that will allow um gold to break to the upside with the inverse relationship between the dollar and gold so as we go to um, see the dollar weakness come through, anticipate gold to, to go back and test those highs and potentially extend above those highs. That's probably a Q2 story rather than a Q1 story. See, we got a ton of questions coming in from the audience right now, but I wanted to ask you, any other charts you wanted to show? Um, I know we mentioned uh, before we came on air, we were having a little talk about Bitcoin. So I'm happy to you know jump in there and just talk about that. But um, no charts in here um, that I can share with you at the moment. But, you know, we've-, we've Yeah, please. Broken. By the way, the, for folks who don't know, the big news here on is Bitcoin above 50,000, first time in this cycle uh, here today. Broke out uh, while we were doing a pro crypto show this this morning at around uh, 1230 uh, Eastern time. Uh, so there you go. Fresh news. 
Yeah, yeah. And good timing, right, with the show uh, airing at that time. So there That's you good. go. So, yeah, but I mean, you know, again, psychologically, it's important to break out through 50,000 um, in here. I think, you know, also the fact that we took out that that January peak um, and we also had a peak around, you know, the 48,500 area um, from back in 2022, March 2022. So having um, broken and held above those levels and now through 50,000, I think that's that's super important. And if we look at like the activity, the consolidation activity we had in January, where we went up to like, you know, really around 4,900 and then dipped back to like 38, 3,900, you know, you've got basically a a, um, a, a 10,000 um, spread there. So I do think the risk is that we add that on to the upside. So that points us up to at least towards, I think, you know, 60,000 um, as we go into um, the balance of Q1. So we could see that, you know, potentially in the next, you know, three to five weeks up to that kind of level. Hey, by the way, pointing out something else here on Bitcoin, uh, the next big level here is actually the $1 trillion market cap. Uh, Mark, we're currently at 985 billion uh, on Bitcoin market cap. So we're within uh, sneezing distance of that $1 trillion market cap. Oh, wow. That's interesting. And where, do you know, have any idea where that takes us on the chart, where we need to be in price to get to that $1 trillion? Well, we could back it out, 33 million circulating Bitcoin. So it's not a whole lot higher to get to that uh, $1 trillion. No, it's, it's potentially this week, right? Potentially this week, yes. And, then, and that the, grabs more headlines. And then, you know, Bitcoin is very, very prone to those headlines, right? Uh, you know, it's a viral it's a viral commodity. It sure is in both directions. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> uh, Steve, let's jump in. We got some great questions coming in. First one from G Blackburn. Uh, boy, this is a great question. Wish I would have thought of this. Next technical resistance level on the S&P 500. Steve, good one. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's obviously nothing. We're in no man's land. I get asked this a lot. So, you know, we have um, our traders at Trade Day, um, you know, asking this a lot. And I produce a, you know, in another guys with my market chart hat on. This another company I have that um, produces uh, research reports. And we get asked this a lot. And, you know, we've been publishing our um, our outlook on uh, for the short-term um, target levels. And they've worked really well. The, I mean, the, the, the real trick with this i i think is to to you know use fibonacci extension levels it's kind of all we have in our armory um apart from maybe channels and as as we if we can flick back to the um the weekly chart on the smp uh, that we had earlier on we've broken out of that channel that goes back to um october 22 so you know even on that longer term that longer term ch uh, chart that longer term channel you know we haven't even got the channel resistance in here to to sort of um, to look at so fibonacci extension levels I've got some important levels around 5,300, which kind of matches also a chart projection, another chart projection level around 5,250. So initial target, 5,250 to 5,300. And then the next one above that is around 5,550. Um, so these are these are Fibonacci extension levels drawn off of the more recent, well, I say recent, the, the, um, the 22 to 23 rally, and then also extensions and pullbacks that we've seen from uh, July 23, back to October 23. So their Fibonacci extension levels drawn off of those. Uh, and those are those are the upside targets that I have. Again, in the, the initial target there, 5250, 5300, we're looking at maybe into late Q1, into March, and the higher target as a Q2 target. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Hey, Steve, let me ask you a follow-up on that. Uh, to what extent do you see distortions on the traditional Fibonacci levels when you got nice big round numbers like 5,000? We saw it today on Bitcoin 50,000, uh, where we saw some 
uh, what appeared to be support and resistance that was bouncing around, people presumably setting stops above and below. Yeah, I mean, that can happen, certainly. I mean, I think it kind of happens... Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, again, I'm going to go back into history. And here. so my, I, I grew up in, on the trading floor, the equivalent of the Chicago Buddha Traders, Chicago uh, Mercantile Exchange in London. So it's the London International Financial Futures Exchange. And and psychological round numbers were were really big, particularly when you went into like no man's land, like we are um, uh, with the S&P with that 5,000 levels. A little less important, obviously, because Bitcoin's been through uh, 50,000 before. So it's a little less important there. but equally. You know, these round numbers do grab headlines and it can distort then sometimes, you know, what yeah. we're getting with respect to, you know, because our endpoints when we draw the Fibonacci, you know, projections or the Fibonacci retracement levels, it can add to a little distortion. But I think, you know, these things drive the markets. These things are important. I think, as I say, I think they're less important than back on the old floor trading days when things were a little bit more analog in yeah. the digital world. I think it's a little less important. But, you know, option plays are still super important in the markets. So, you know, these these round numbers, these psychological levels are important because of option plays. Um, I didn't really, I'll be quite frank, I didn't really see how much optionality there was around um both the 50,000 level on bitcoin and and then equally on the 5,000 level on um on the S&P to see that it was you know a sustainable uh, top and you know certainly they didn't last very long you know they last maybe intraday but you know we didn't see them as as strong barriers to the upside uh for more than a day or two yeah here's an interesting question uh from Eric Frith from YouTube and this is something that you touched on earlier when you mentioned the uh, MSCI World Index the question is anything you're looking at Steve outside the United States uh I mean I I I I um was on uh, another channel at the beginning of the year and with my year ahead look and um I I I'm quite bullish still China and I know we've seen more underperformance in China so far this year so Timing um, is going to be tricky on this one, I think. But I think a lot of the woes of China are in the rearview mirror. Um, it's trading at a massive, massive discount. It's hugely underperformed. You know, it effectively, it's been going in the opposite direction to the US. And I do think there's there's huge value in China mm-hmm. now. I mean, obviously, very much with the Chinese markets, it's prone to choosing my words carefully. External influences. I'll leave it like that, right? So, um, and I think what we will see going into this year is China do some support. They've already kind of hinted at and started to do some minor support for both the markets and for the economy. I think, you know, that that will come to the fore as we go into this year. And I think, um, you know, that, that will end up pushing the market significantly higher. And when China does get going on the upside, it can really accelerate, you know, and you can get, you know, double digit returns very, 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 very quickly, you know, in, you know, in a month, you know, rather than in a year. So I think that's the one I'm watching for. I'm not seeing on a technical you know, perspective, I'm not seeing any sign at the moment that we're about to turn to the upside, uh, but I'm certainly watching out for it. We're obviously on um, the uh, Chinese uh, Lunar New Year um, at the moment on the holiday. So maybe we see how we come back after the holiday, maybe post holiday, the, the authorities could surprise us. Who knows? You know, um, I'm not a big um, uh, I, on the politics of China. I'm not great. But then equally, you know, those markets are prone to those external influences. And I think, you know, they've been it's been too long that, that they've been 
lagging. So I wouldn't be surprised to see something in the first half of this year. And, I'm, and that's why I'm waiting. I think there's a there's a huge opportunity to, for China to play catch up because China, if the rest of the world is going to recover and if the rest of the rest of the world is recovering, you know, it's the factory of the planet. So if that's going to happen, then, you know, you've got mm. to think that China is going to rebound at some point. Well, you did a great job of being diplomatic there as well, Steve. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Steve, here's a question from the Macro Butler. Uh, Steve, any view on the WTI chart? We should say West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil Futures right now uh, trading just under 77, off uh, almost 20 bucks from their uh, trailing 12-month high. I think they uh, printed around 74 in uh, September of last year. Uh, any thoughts on WTI, Steve? So, yeah, I mean, I'm seeing where we, where did you say you see the crude trading right now? Uh, looks like uh, looks like 76.89. Yeah, yeah, that's what I've got. I just wanted to make sure I'm looking at the right chart. So for me, we're in like um, this kind of very choppy, staggered uptrend that goes back to um, December of last year, right? So we've been in this choppy, staggered uptrend. We got up to just shy of 80 bucks on the top side. Um, at the, um, I don't, can I share the chart onto here for you guys, or is that not possible? Probably not, right? I don't know if we can share it on. No, but uh, we're I'll doing just some upgrades on our tech right now. So yeah, I'll, I'll just talk us through it. But yeah, we're in this kind it. of choppy ups. We've been this choppy, choppy ups um, trend um, since December, um, and um, you know we made we went from a low in the uh, sixty eight up to seventy six, back down to sixty nine and a half, up to just shy of eighty back down to 71 and we're rallying again. And I think, um, you know, all the risk still is to the upside. What have we got going for oil? Um, well, on the, on the very negative, right, you've got all the tension in the Middle East. So ongoing tension, you know, points, you know, to supply issues equals um, oil higher. And then also we're in, you know, we're in a risk on environment, you know, stocks are going higher, Bitcoin's going higher, risk on, you know, recovery of the global economy, more demand. If we get, which I do expect, we know after the last question, a positive turnaround in China, that's the other thing, you know, we're managing to have this kind of choppy uptrend in oil with China not doing well. And if China turns around, if we get some upside in China, that could certainly see um, oil push significantly to the upside. So, yeah, my view is, you know, going into, I don't think it's as early as this week, but I think, you know, before the end of February, we could be seeing $80 oil. And if it breaks $82, then, you know, there's there's real risk we get an acceleration towards 83 So, you know, I think that's the one to watch watch out for. And then that could put a little bit of a wobble. That could be one of the catalysts for um, the stock indices wobbling because obviously higher oil prices could feed into inflationary pressures and inflationary concerns. And um, and that could see a little bit of a wobble on the stock in the sea. So maybe watching out for oil if it does break 80 bucks on the top side. Uh, here's a question I wanted to ask you. We're almost out of time, but this is really such a good one. Uh, Mark Naismith Bealey wants to know, Steve, will small caps have any chance of a move in this environment? Boy, uh, this touches on something we talked about last uh, uh, a few minutes ago where we were mentioning uh, the, the narrowness of this market. Any thoughts? on whether small caps have a shot? Um, I mean, the chart still looks positive. It's not looking as, po- as positive for the others. I mean, from a technical perspective, you know, the, the fact that it's lagged means that you have real opportunity. You, we're not overbought. We're not overextended. So from a momentum perspective, it looks like it's got 
room to play catch up, right? Um, and the chart's not looking negative. It's just the underperformance as a concern. Right. Can it play catch up? You know, there's nothing in the chart that tells me right now it is going to play catch up. Um, but equally, I don't see it, you know, reversing back lower. I think the other thing you have to remember, if we do get a, a corrective consolidation back lower in the bigger you know, tech, if you see it in NASDAQ, et cetera, then you're probably insulated on the downside on the small cap as well. So, you know, it, it works in both directions. It doesn't mean it's, it's probably going to sell off as aggressively if we do see the correction. So do I think it's going to play catch up? Probably not. You know, is it worth being in there in case it does? Yes, you're, probably you have some of your portfolio in there, but I wouldn't be putting, you know, I, I'm I'm still very bullish on the on the tech area. I'm very bullish on those Magnificent Seven. I still think they've got further to go. Um, we have NVIDIA next week, right? So, you know, watching out for, for NVIDIA, see, see how that that goes. And that, that could give us another boost in, in the uh, in that sort of tech sector and see the the mega caps continue their outperformance. Yeah, talk about relative uh, massive outperformance. I went just from the ridiculous to the sublime here on my screen. Uh, Russell 2000 index trailing 12 months up uh, about 5%. NASDAQ 100 trailing 12 months over 43%. Yeah, just to get yeah. you a sense of the magnitude of that outperformance. Huge, huge, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely massive. Okay, I think we had time for one more question. Uh, how about this one from Ken Riley? Steve, what happens to yields and the Fed balance sheet when reverse repos hit zero? Boy, not ending on an easy question. Uh, any thoughts on the reverse repo market and what the impact is? Oh, God, no, that is going beyond my remit. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't like to comment on that. That's really not my strong suit whatsoever, certainly outside my wheelhouse. Um, All right, one yeah, more, one more. We got one, one more question uh, on from, Michael, from Michael Cole, uh, who wants to know, uh, Steve, thoughts on commodities a little bit more broadly? Yeah, I... I, I I think with my overall bearish view um, on uh, the US dollar, you know, the ultimate bearish view on the US dollar, that probably sends commodities higher. You know, there's a bullish view there on gold, a bullish view on um, on uh, crude as well. Um, and that they sit sort of distinct from the fact that I've got this bearish view on um, the US dollar anyway. But, you know, given the, the general inverse correlation, you know, I think if we do see the dollar start breaking down, commodities could move to the upside um, potentially significantly. And particularly if we avoid the kind of hard landing, which is, looks like we're going to avoid the hard landing, not just in the US, but globally as well. You know, we're seeing even in the pockets within the major economies, such, you know, like the UK and, and in Germany, where we are seeing potential for either... Either if it's not a hard landing, it's it's a hardish soft landing kind of thing, you know. So even where we're seeing there, you know, th that sort of seems to be ebbing away those concerns about recessionary pressures. So you know, again, that should um, bolster um, commodities to the top side. I will throw in though that if we look at the natural gas market, um, particularly in Europe, okay, that continues to decline. So that continues to push lower. That's in a bear trend. Continues in that bear trend um, that we kind of seeing, you know, prices going back to like long term long-term norms that we um, um, post, you know, the uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So we saw a huge spike in here of in natural gas um, prices in Europe. But so on the on that side, I think, you know, potentially those declines to continue. But um, generally commodities, I think the risk is to the upside. Hey, Steve, great chat here today. Final thoughts, key takeaways that you'd like to leave our viewers and our listeners with from this conversation. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I need to hide the fact that I'm bullish, right? So, I mean, I've been bullish since the end of last year. Uh, I'm stay, you know, I was bullish through January. It's been a good January. There's nothing in the technicals that tells me that we've got any kind of exuberance that this we're gonna any. I mean, 
are we moving towards a bubble? Yes, but we're always moving towards a bubble, right? But are we anywhere near that bubble and that bubble popping? I, I, I think we're a long way from that, you know, and I think that the whole tech rally, the AI-driven rally has got, you know, some ways to go before we get to any kind of kind of irrational kind of moves, which we're not seeing yet from, from my perspective anyway. Steve, great conversation. Hope you'll come back again and do this with us soon. I sure will. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching Real Vision Daily Briefing. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. See you soon. We hope you enjoyed this episode. At Real Vision, we arm you with the expert knowledge, time-efficient tools, and a powerful network to help you succeed on your financial journey. Get a taste of financial freedom with our free offer at realvision.com forward slash free.